announcement. Okay, well, welcome again, everybody here this morning, and uh, welcome again, everyone, with us online. This is the third installment in my three-part mini-series on our church mission statement, our new church mission statement. So, once again, the notes are in the back uh, of the bulletin. Since there's no slides, I thought I'd print them out for you so you can follow along if you want. Just some of the places that's a little bit more words maybe to remember. But there's our new mission statement again. I'll say it again. Love God, open our hearts and minds, live graciously towards all. And, of course, because grace is in our name, we are leaning into that idea. We're really pushing that. Um, and, of course, if you go love, open, graciously, it makes the same acronym as Lord of Grace. So today... We're going to kind of lean into that third part of it, which reads, Live graciously towards all through outreach and mission to our local, national, and international communities. And so you can see, again, we really are leaning into that. It's Lord of grace. It's not Lord of law. It's not Lord of wrath, although Lord of wrath would be a great metal band name. Uh, but what exactly do we mean by that word when we say grace? You know? What does it mean? If it's so central, what is it? Uh, in our world, when you think of how, like in daily conversation, we use grace, it usually means I'm going to forgive you a consequence for a short period of time. So, like, I think the bank is getting all, all bragging about, uh, while they are not lowering interest rates to make it cheaper to bank there, they will give you a two-day grace period on paying some bills, which means which means for two days we won't punish you. The third day we'll take everything you own and your house and your home and we won't feel bad about it. But for two days we will hold back on the punishment. Or we often look, use that word, like when you look at somebody, maybe someone living on the street, you know, and we say, okay, maybe he did make some bad choices, but, you know, is that a hard life, been through a lot, show some grace. Right? Don't just jump to punishment, you know, show some grace. That's usually what we mean. We'll withhold consequences, but usually only for a little bit, right? But for Luther, for Martin Luther, and really most of Christianity uh, for a long time, that was not how grace was understood at all. Uh, grace wasn't just God forgives because he's a nice guy. It was much more, a little bit more complicated than that. Before Luther, I'll give you how it was before Luther. The teaching was, we are all sinful people. We're all full of sin. Sinful to the core is what they taught. And if you were, if you were John Calvin, your phrase was total depravity. We live in total depravity. Because he didn't want people thinking they could earn even a little bit of forgiveness. He wants you to work hard, but don't think you're going to earn it. You're totally depraved. He must have been, his services must have been so much fun. And uh, Luther didn't teach total depravity, but they did teach that there was, that we were sinful. And so, because we were so sinful, we were deserving of punishment in hell. But then, thank God, Jesus intervened and took the punishment for us, so now we don't have to go to hell. And most of us would probably be like, okay, that I might quibble, I might struggle a little bit with quite how that works, but okay, Jesus died, so I'm forgiven. We can agree, most of us could agree on that. 
But before Luther, they took it one step further. What they said was, well, okay, Jesus died for you, but you're still not off the hook. Jesus got you, well, we use football analogy, maybe 80 yards. His death was a really good death. It was a lot of death and a lot of pain. And it got you maybe 80 yards of the way. But you've got to get yourself to, to the end. You know, this isn't like a free pass. You've got to earn that last little bit. You know, so you have to do something with what you do to make up for that wrath that you've earned through your sinfulness. You've got to get that last 20. But as we all know, it's pretty hard to be perfect, right? So maybe I might earn myself the last 15. I might get to 19. I might get to 19 and goal, right? Where the football is down there and they're quibbling over the thing is one or two more inches closer. I could get down to, to fourth and goal, but maybe I didn't make it all the way. Well, the belief was, the teaching that was, what you do then at that last bit, you got to earn it. And if you can't earn it, you're going to go to purgatory, which is basically just like temporary hell. So you still got to burn, and there's devils, and you know, guys in tights with tridents, and all that fun stuff. But you're on a time limit. And uh, so if you did do something wrong and you didn't want to go to purgatory, you would then have to go and confess your sins, and the priest would say, okay, you know, and because of that, you need to do three Hail Marys to our fathers and make a donation. And that was kind of how it worked. But what if you forgot one? I mean, that could have been a wild party you had, and you, what if you don't even remember all the sins you did? How could you confess all of them? Well, that could get scary. And for Luther, this was a big deal. Not the partying part, but the do I remember my sins part. Well, okay, he was kind of into the partying part. I won't lie about that either. Um, but so Luther comes along and goes, wait, 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 wait. There's no purgatory in the Bible. That's all made up. Second, are you really saying that Jesus' death wasn't enough? That he didn't make enough of a sacrifice? That it wasn't good enough? You know, how, and how can you say that there's anything I could do that could possibly be as good as what Jesus did? You're making a mockery of the cross by implying that it wasn't enough. And so Luther came in and said no, and he read through his Bible, he gets to Romans, he's like, we are justified by grace through faith, we are saved by grace. And he said no, Jesus' cross was enough. You just have to trust that the cross was enough. That was how grace was understood. And so he proclaimed it, and we proclaimed it. For 500 years we've been proclaiming it. It's a great message. You don't earn God's love. You don't earn God's forgiveness. You just have to trust it. That's it. But now, of course, now, of course, who walks around worrying about whether they have sufficiently done enough good works to propitiate the wrath that they earned through sin? I mean, really, when you're out there at Sandario, you know, and the high school lets out, the guys are sitting there in the back of the pickup truck, bragging to each other, man, that was a great party last weekend, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And then they brag to each other about all the exploits and conquests they maybe did. And they're sitting there lighting up, going, yeah, man. But my real question was, 
Have I done enough good work since then to propitiate the wrath of God that I earned for my sins? <sighs> yeah, man, I was blacked out there in the back of the side-by-side. -side. I don't even know if I remember my sins. <sighs> How will I propitiate that wrath? Well, I may just have to do extra good works to propitiate the wrath. The pastor at my church told me that I didn't sufficiently propitiate the wrath. Do you know of any churches where I can go to where they teach that I, I don't have to produce enough good works to sufficiently propitiate wrath? Oh, man, you should check out Lord of Grace. If that was the case, man, I'd have, people, I'd have chairs stacked high like that guy wants to do in airplanes. But that isn't the case. That isn't our world. We have a solution to a problem that people don't feel they have. And the only maybe exception to that is if you've grown up in a really sort of harsh, punishing kind of Christianity, which some people still do. Maybe there's a lot of churches that still do that. You know, and it's maybe not as much about purgatory and propitiation. It's more about sort of God as the, the great you know, omnipotent sin watcher in the sky. And they don't maybe word it as much as, as sinfulness and, and maybe more about purity and impurity, right? Your impurity is your sin, and God's watching and listening to your thoughts. And God knows what you were thinking last summer. And, and, and there's a lot of people who've grown up with that sense. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe God made me defective. That's what I was taught at church. And so, for a lot of people, if you've been through that, maybe you've been through that, but if you've been through that, the Lutheran Church is still a great place. And that message of grace hits home in that way. But again, most of America doesn't go to church and didn't grow up in any church. They're secular. They're not, they don't really believe in sin or, purg or know that even purgatory exists or is a concept. Maybe they don't even believe in God. So what does it mean to preach grace? What does it mean to preach grace to people who don't feel a burden of sin? What does it mean to live grace and live graciously? I think we just have to rethink. We have to sit back and rethink what it means today for people to feel burdened, judged, condemned, where is it that God can bring relief to the unfair burdens of our world? Think about the ways that people do feel burdened, rejected, made to feel worthless or unwanted. Think, let's think about this message of grace as a loving God and Jesus taking away the burdens. Jesus says that, right? My, you, my burden is light. Come to me, my burden is light. If you think about all the ways we are burdened and hurt and all the ways Jesus can bring relief to that, unearned just as a free gift without conditions, there's a lot we can do as a church to help people experience grace and to live that. The world still needs grace. So I'll give you some of the ways in which I think that's true. Here you go. Here's your three bullet points. Last week you got six, this week you get three, you can thank me later. <laughs> One is sort of grace for religious burdens. And I kind of talked about this before, but 
it's if you've grown, it's relieving people of that burden of those who've grown up or who've experienced God as a judging, condemning sort of entity of laws and rules and punishments, that you're never good enough, you're never right enough, you're probably dirty and sinful deep down. And that, that the kind of background, there is still a need to proclaim grace to that, that God is loving. Yeah, God still has expectations, but God is loving. And I also think there's a lot of people who are religiously burdened who've never been to church because the only God thing they think that Christians believe God is is the judging, burdensome, moralistic, legalistic, condemning kind of God. That's the God they see people proclaim on the media, right? Because those people always get the those people always get the publicity, right? Pat Robertson, remember him? He died. Rest in peace, Pat. I don't agree with you, but I, I, choose, I don't condemn you. But he was the one who every time there was a like, natural disaster, he'd always blame someone. And boy, did he get the media press, you know? Hurricane Katrina, too much debauchery in the French Quarter. Like, just the French Quarter? <laughs> and then I looked at the news. You want to know what part of New Orleans was fine? The French Quarter, because it's built on high ground, and they built the buildings on cotton bales. I'm not making this up. So they float. They're built on cotton bales, so when the water goes up, they float. It was the lower areas that got. It wasn't the debauch parts. It was the poor people who got flooded out. And there's no debauchery in Sarasota? I mean, you know, but, and, but he would get the press. He'd be all over the Internet. Everybody listens to him. Everybody thinks that's what Christians believe. No, the world needs to hear this message of grace. But a loving message is never quite as scandalous. It's never quite as flashy. It doesn't make good memes. Be, love God and be good to one another. All right. Personal burdens. We need to preach grace to personal burdens. Guilt. Shame, sense of failure, they're still with us. We still feel it. It's called parenting, right? Did I do enough? Have I given my kids enough attention? Have I given them too much screen time, too little screen time? Did I get them into the right school? Are they going to have a good future? Should I have tutored my kid more, you know? If you don't think that there's anxiety about parenting, you should sit in our office when the tourists come in for the preschool. Well, what kind of curriculum development do you work on here? How are you going to prepare my, my little, you know, Bryson for, for school? You know, I, I hear the other one does work on, you know, Latin or something. And, and, and we're like, we have a really, we, our curriculum is letters, numbers, Jesus loves you, be nice. <laughs> and I'm perfectly okay with that. Because if that's all you know, you're good. We have to have a little bit more faith in ourselves and our kids sometimes. And have faith that we can't control all the variables in their lives, and we might think we're doing everything right, and things still go south. But this is what we do. And we fill ourselves with guilt. 
Just because people don't believe that God might be judging them doesn't mean they don't think everybody else is. You know? But that's our message. God loves you. That's what we should be preaching first to each other, to our kids. You know, we will not be perfect. God still loves us. We may make bad choices. God loves us. Our kids need to know they will always be loved. Maybe you could rephrase it as love first. Love first. You're doing stupid stuff. We love you first. You're smoking and taking things you shouldn't. We love you first. You're caught in bad cycles of behavior. We love you first. We love you first because God loves us first. If you look at the Bible, if you look at how Jesus does his ministry, Jesus doesn't run around. He doesn't make any new laws. He says, hey, we already got enough at 623. But B, he, his actual emphasis, what he does when he encounters people, he doesn't, even when he knows that they're breaking a lot of laws, he doesn't confront them about the laws. The first thing he does is he either he heals them or, you know, he casts out a demon or something or, or he, he goes to dinner with them or he does some teaching. He usually leaves the behavioral correction for the Holy Spirit to do. And, and I think that kind of gets forgotten. And I know we get nervous, right? If I don't, if I don't keep that law out in front, are they going to think anything goes? If you really live in our world and think anything goes and that that's going to make you happy, then we got to step back a little bit. But I, I really do think, I really do think that when we experience grace, sin loses its appeal. That the love of God can fill up the empty space that we are trying to fill with whatever it is that we are taking or doing. That the bad choices that seem so exciting don't seem so exciting when your heart is filled with joy. When you have the love of God and the love of a community around you. So let's go out and change lives by loving first. And trusting that the Holy Spirit will do a lot of the rest. All right, what else? Three, community burdens. This work is kind of, this is the practical side of it. The day-to-day -day side, the nuts and bolts side. You know, this is where we have to get our hands dirty, collecting food and passing it out. We're collecting cash and mailing that in. You know, it's where we, why we give stuff to the food bank. It's why we go and work at the elementary school out there in the valley. We've got... All sorts of ideas our outreach team's been working on. You're welcome to come and, and join them at the next meeting if you'd like. If the spirit moves you. But there is a lot of suffering and burdens caused by very practical things. And, you know, that's why we try to do our best to deal with it hands-on. A lot of it probably does need a policy change because it's really big. You know, you think about the people who this explosion in homelessness... Some of it's drugs, some of it's mental health care. I was just reading online, they surveyed people in L.A. There's a huge survey of the homeless in L.A. 80% of them were there because they got priced out of rent. They, they, they aren't addicted. They aren't having visions. They were just working, and the rent got too high. You know? And when you think about, like, prices of rent, what did somebody say in Toronto in 96? The average house was 198000 
Now it's 1.2 million. Now you know why all those HGTV shows are up there, right? But it's all around. Now, how are you going to fix that? We give food, we give shelter, we give love and compassion to the people bumped out. But at the end of the day, there's got to be some structural things fixed here, right? Maybe we say that not every landlord can own 7,000 properties and triple the rent. Maybe they may, you know, but that's getting into policy stuff. I know that gets more contentious, but that, that can do good too. And when people are feeling less burdened, and when they see that the church is trying to relieve their burdens in not just a hands-on way, but a structural way, that says something. Either way, our job is to be relieving the burdens. And when we do, that is something that proclaims grace. And when people come to know that grace, that love, and experience that, you know, acceptance without hate, friendship without requirements, love without criticism, then they experience God's grace firsthand. And I won't lie. I see a lot of religion out there that talks grace and practices law. And I see a lot of people running from it. That's why we're the Lord. That's why we worship the Lord of grace. We worship the Lord who loves first, who loves you first, who loves the world first. So that's where I'll leave you for the mission statement sermon. I hope I've done it, I hope I've done it justice. For those of you on the team, uh, you can see me later if you think I have misinterpreted the statement. But you'll have to have that meeting without me because I'm going on sabbatical. And I feel so bad about it. But I also hope, I also hope, uh, I also hope in all of it you get some ideas, some inspiration, some hope for the church as we try to reposition ourselves to do an outreach to spread God's love in this place and around our community for those who need to hear, those who need their burdens relieved and who need to experience the love of God that in an open and graceful way. Amen.